Good morning, and thank you for joining us on 5 at 8. It's Friday, August 11th, 2023. And here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we'll talk about a new research suggesting a big freeze that drove early humans out of Europe, European firms' concerns about digital sovereignty, Russia's return to major space missions with its first moon mission in 50 years, the detention of Australian journalist Cheng Lei in China, and China's property developer Country Garden's potential loss and economic challenges. Story number one. According to the BBC, new research suggests that a big freeze, previously unknown to science, drove early humans out of Europe for 200,000 years. Sediments from 1.1 million years ago show that temperatures dropped more than 5 C, making it impossible for early humans to survive without heating or warm clothes. Until now, it was believed that humans had existed in Europe continuously for 1.5 million years. The evidence for the Big Freeze was found in sediments off the coast of Lisbon, Portugal, which contain records of sea conditions and vegetation on land. The drop in temperatures would have greatly challenged human survival, as early humans were not well adapted to cope with such extreme conditions. However, they eventually adapted and returned to Europe, possibly due to evolutionary changes such as increased body fat as insulation or improved hunting and shelter-building skills. The Happysburg species of humans, which might have evolved into Neanderthals, were well-established in Europe by 400,000 years ago. Will you look at that, Linda? Just when we thought we had a handle on the human story, science throws us a curveball. This latest research suggests that early humans, Homo erectus, were driven out of Europe due to a big freeze around 1.1 million years ago. Can you imagine... No heating, no warm clothes, and temperatures dropping more than 5C. It's a testament to our species' resilience, don't you think? It's fascinating to think about. These extreme conditions must have been incredibly challenging. And yet, these early humans adapted and returned to Europe after 200,000 years. This speaks volumes about the human capacity for adaptation and survival. It also makes me think about the broader implications for our understanding of human evolution. That's a great point, Linda. According to researchers, this intense cold spell could have triggered evolutionary changes in humans. Increased body fat for insulation, more hair, improved hunting or scavenging skills, even abilities to create more effective clothing and shelters. It's like necessity truly was the mother of invention. And it's not just about physical evolution. This could also have implications for social and cultural evolution. For instance, the development of more complex social structures to organize hunting or shelter building, or perhaps the birth of certain cultural practices related to survival. It's an intricate narrative of survival and resilience. Right you are, Linda. And it's not just a matter of looking back, but also looking forward. If our ancestors could adapt to such extreme conditions, it makes you wonder, what about us today? With climate change and all the environmental challenges we face, do we have the same capacity for adaptation and innovation? That's a thought-provoking question mark, and one that we, as a society, need to seriously consider. Our ancestors didn't just survive, they evolved, they innovated, they adapted. Perhaps this is a reminder for us to tap into that same resilience and ingenuity. After all, we are their descendants. Story number two. European firms, as reported by the BBC, are increasingly concerned about digital sovereignty and the control of their own data and technology. Many European countries rely heavily on U.S. firms for cloud services, 
which can cause conflicts between different data protection laws. To address this issue, European companies like Evrock and Ionos are working to build sovereign cloud services that are fully under European jurisdiction. These companies aim to provide an alternative to major U.S. cloud providers like Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, and Google. The goal is to ensure that European customers' data is stored and protected according to European laws, without the risk of foreign states accessing the information. Additionally, European firms are participating in projects like GaiaX, which aims to create a federated system for cloud service providers, allowing data to move between them while data owners remain in control. The push for digital sovereignty is driven by concerns about technological independence from the U.S. and the need for resilient infrastructure in times of crisis. Did you know, Linda, that this whole thing about digital sovereignty reminds me of how nations have always grappled with control over their critical infrastructure? It's fascinating to see how these historical struggles reflect in the digital realm. Yes, Mark. The concept of digital sovereignty is an extension of the sovereignty countries have always exercised over their physical territories. It's about having control over digital data and technology, just as a nation would have over its physical resources. Right, and that's causing a lot of concern in Europe, especially with the dependence on U.S. firms for cloud services. There's a bit of a tussle, isn't there? European laws demand protection of personal data, but U.S. laws allow their intelligence and law enforcement services to access data. Quite a catch-22, huh? And this conflict of laws isn't something new. It's been a contentious issue in international law for a long time. But in the context of digital data, it becomes even more complex because the physical location of the data can be different from the digital ownership of the data. Seems like a bit of a digital Wild West. And this could have serious implications for global commerce and innovation, right? Definitely, Mark. On one hand, a globally integrated digital landscape can fuel innovation and growth. But on the other hand, without appropriate legal and regulatory frameworks, it could lead to misuse of data and potential conflicts between nations. It's a delicate balance that needs to be achieved. Story number three. Russia has launched its first mission to the moon in nearly 50 years, with the Luna 25 craft set to reach lunar orbit in five days, as reported by Al Jazeera. The launch, which took place without assistance from the European Space Agency, marks Russia's return to major space missions after a period of decline. The craft, weighing approximately 800 kg, will spend three to seven days choosing a landing spot in the lunar South Pole area. The mission aims to demonstrate Russia's capability in delivering payloads to the moon and ensure its guaranteed access to the lunar surface, according to Al Jazeera. Have you caught up with the recent news about Russia's Luna 25 mission? It's been a while since we've seen such a space race, right? It's like we're back in the Cold War era, but with a new set of space players. While the US and the Soviet Union were the main contenders back then, now we've got emerging powers like India joining in. Yes, it's really fascinating. The resurgence of space exploration, this time focusing on the moon's South Pole, is truly a testament to the power of scientific curiosity. It's not just about proving technological prowess or asserting political power anymore. The scientific significance of these missions cannot be understated. The South Pole is believed to contain water, which could potentially be transformed by future explorers into air and rocket fuel. Absolutely! The Moon, our closest celestial body, is turning out to be this untapped treasure trove of scientific discovery. 
But let's not ignore the geopolitical aspect here. Russia launching its first moon mission in nearly half a century without assistance from the European Space Agency due to recent political tensions is a pretty strong statement. It's like they're saying, hey, we may be under sanctions, but we've still got it. That's a very valid point, Mark. The fact that Russia managed to do this despite the sanctions does suggest a sort of defiance. And it also shows that these restrictions can sometimes drive domestic innovation. But I wonder, what does the space race mean for international cooperation? The space exploration endeavors of the 20th century were marked by intense competition, but they eventually led to some remarkable instances of international cooperation, like the International Space Station. Well, Linda, that's an interesting question. I mean, look at India. Their previous attempt in 2019 ended in a crash, but they're back in the game, so maybe we'll see more collaboration between countries again. But for now, it seems like the space race is back on, and it's every country for itself. Yes, it certainly appears so. But let's not forget, this race is ultimately about pushing the boundaries of human knowledge and understanding. The discoveries we make up there could have profound implications for life here on Earth. So while the competitive aspect is always exciting, I hope that the spirit of scientific discovery and shared knowledge doesn't get lost in the race. Story number four. According to the BBC, Australian journalist Chung Lei, who has been detained in China for three years, has spoken publicly for the first time. In an open letter to the people of Australia, she expressed her longing for the sun and nature, as well as her nostalgia for her life in Australia. Chung, who worked for China's state media, CGTN, was arrested in 2020 and has been held without charge. Her family and even Australia's ambassador to China are unaware of the specific accusations against her, which are said to involve passing on state secrets. There is speculation that her delayed sentencing may be used as a bargaining chip in China's dealings with Australia, as reported by the BBC. Can you believe it, Linda? Three years, no sun, no trees, and not even knowing why you're held. Chung Lei's story is just heartbreaking. As a father, I cannot imagine how her kids are feeling. It's a very poignant reminder of the perils journalists face, particularly in countries where transparency isn't a given. Chung Lei is just one of many journalists across the globe who are being detained under vague charges. It's a chilling trend. Right. And this state secrets charge, it's such a broad term. It seems like anything could fall under that umbrella. How common is this, Linda, in authoritarian regimes? Unfortunately, it's quite common, Mark. Many authoritarian governments use such broad and vague accusations to stifle criticism and silence independent voices. It's a way to control information and maintain power. And this speculation about Chung being used as a bargaining chip in China's relations with Australia, it's pretty unsettling. Does this happen often? It's not unheard of, Mark. There's a term for it, hostage diplomacy. It's a high-stakes strategy where individuals are detained and used as leverage in diplomatic negotiations. It's a gross violation of human rights, but unfortunately, it's a reality in international politics. Gosh, it's hard to imagine being caught up in something like that. The personal toll on Chung and her family must be immense. Yes, Mark. Her open letter paints a vivid picture of her longing for freedom, for the simple pleasures we take for granted. It's a stark reminder of the human cost of these political games. Story number five. China's property developer Country Garden has warned of a potential loss of up to $7.6 billion for the first six months of the year, highlighting the economic challenges faced by the country. According to the BBC, 
This comes as China slipped into deflation for the first time in over two years and experienced a sharp decline in exports. Country Gardens shares fell by almost 10% following the announcement. The company has set up a special task force to find ways to turn the business around. Moody's also downgraded the company's rating, citing liquidity and refinancing risks. China's economic issues have raised concerns about its post-pandemic recovery, with high youth unemployment and an aging workforce. Do you believe it, Linda? Country Garden, one of China's biggest property developers, is looking at a whopping loss of up to $7.6 billion. That's a massive hit. This could send shockwaves through China's economy. And considering China's position on the global stage, we could feel those tremors worldwide. Absolutely. It's a deeply concerning situation. And this is not an isolated incident. Just last month, Evergrande, another major Chinese property developer, reported astronomical losses. China's real estate sector seems to be on shaky ground, which is troubling since it's a significant pillar of their economy. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And it's not just the real estate sector that's feeling the heat. China's economy as a whole seems to be under immense pressure. Slipping into deflation for the first time in over two years, record high youth unemployment, and significant drops in exports. It's like a perfect storm brewing over there. And let's not forget the social implications of such economic turmoil. With youth unemployment at a record high, this could lead to a generation of frustrated and disenfranchised young people. It's a ticking time bomb, as President Biden put it. True. Very true. And as we've seen in the past, real estate crises can have devastating effects on economies. Remember the 2008 global financial crisis? It was triggered by a similar real estate bubble burst in the U.S. I certainly hope China can figure a way out of this precarious situation. I share your sentiment, Mark. It's worth noting that Country Garden has set up a special task force to turn things around. But the question remains, will these measures be enough to stabilize the teetering market and prevent a full-blown financial crisis? Only time will tell. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.